Hello and welcome to season two of Chatting to a Friend. Season one was the most amazing experience for me and the life lessons and wisdom I learned from my guests, plus the fun I had was absolutely beyond my wildest dreams. The goal for season two is to add more variety and diversity to my guest list. I absolutely love adventure and sport and so those will still feature heavily, but I wanted to talk to more women who have very different life experiences to mine, careers, backgrounds and challenges that I wanted to learn more about to widen my understanding and broaden my horizons. I realise there's a lot of me, me, me in this intro, but it's because I still feel like it's the most extraordinary privilege for me to talk to and learn from these women. And so even if no one's listening, it remains the most personal of all my projects. Having said that, from the amazing feedback I've had and how much you have kept listening between seasons, I know you're going to love these conversations too. Please don't forget to rate and review the podcast either on Apple or on lovethepodcast.com forward slash chatting to a friend. I can't wait to hear how you love season two. Today's guest is Dot Becker, and this is a cracking conversation. If you have any hint of wanderlust in you, then be prepared to immediately want to pack your bags the second you hear this interview. Dot, at the age of 58, left her marriage and decided that after 38 years of not living in her native Zimbabwe, that she was going to go home. She packed her blue transit van called Bluebell, two-wheel drive, and off she went. She did 20,000 kilometers through 18 countries. And the stories she has to tell and the things she learned about herself and how she managed traveling as a woman on her own through uh, such a range of countries and her passion for her home country and the extraordinary things that she is doing to, as she says, that she just knew that she could make a difference. And you will be so inspired, so in awe of her incredible story and what she's up to and what her plans for the future are. Please let me know what you think, but oh my word, I absolutely love this conversation. Hi, Dot. How are you? Thanks so much for joining me all the way from Zimbabwe. Thank you for the invitation to join you. I'm, I'm delighted to be here. Well, I once I'd read or heard about your story, which I think I saw on Al Humphrey's page, you'd mentioned uh, your book, Going Home to Africa. I thought, oh, yes, that's exactly the person I need on my podcast, because you have this uh, a really fascinating story of nearing 60 and deciding after 20 odd years in Europe that you were going to go home to Africa. And we're going to come on to the whole story. But I want to know, first of all, I'd like to know, please, what took you to Europe in the first place? Well, I left Zimbabwe and um, at the age of 22, and I went to South Africa, mm. where I lived for a number of years, and um, um, not to belabor any points, but to kind of put into context, I, I, my first husband passed away when I was in South Africa, and ten years later, I married a South African, mm -hmm. and he wanted to do a postgraduate um, in opera. Mm. And, uh, yeah, it sounds a lot more exciting than it actually is living with an opera singer. Anyhow, um, <clears throat> sorry. <clears throat> um, he got this opportunity, and because I had a British passport at that time, um, uh, we just, he got the opportunity to go to the Royal Northern College of Music, and so we headed for, for England. Mm. Um, packed up, sold, I sold my house, I packed up, we packed up everything. And headed off to Blighty, as they like to call it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I lived there for 11 years. Um, then I moved on to Portugal. And from there I went to Luxembourg, uh, which for those people who don't know what Luxembourg is or where it is, it, it is a very small country that exists between France, Belgium, and Germany. Because mm -hmm. I get asked that a lot. And um, then I went to Spain. Mm. Um, and Spain is where I took my departure from Europe. And when you say I, you were on your own by this stage? 
Yes, I left Luxembourg. I left my marriage. Um, I spent time sort of house-sitting and travelling around and uh, getting myself organised for what I had by then intended to do, which was go home Mm. to Zimbabwe, where I had not lived for 38 years. Wow. And what did you, what was calling you to to home? Well, do you know, uh, when you reach the age of 50, uh, and especially when you reach the age of, uh, when you start approaching 60, and you're a woman in Europe, um, you become invisible and mm. you become less relevant. And I've been a business coach for, um, I don't know how many years it was by then, but I, I've been a business coach since 2002. Mm. And I was finding that the, the younger people, the new generation, the, you know, were all, it was all about hype and not about delivery mm. and, and not about, yeah, the, the business environment had just gotten very, very kind of crazy. Um, and I love coaching and I know that I, you know, I know that I make a difference to, to people's businesses and their lives. And I, I thought to myself, as well as the fact that by this time I had decided to leave my marriage, I had just thinking, rethinking my whole life and then the weather, you know, it was okay for the first five years in Europe, but then it was just like, no, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and I just miss, you know, Europe is a, it, it's it's great, it's wonderful, it has many great attributes, but the things that I didn't like about it was the very consumerist um, environment, mm. you know, and. I was getting further and further trying to sort of not in, in sync with that. So, um, yeah, these things put together, I decided that, wow, you know, um, that stupid coaching question that coaches ask, they say, what would you do if money was no object? Uh-huh. And money was no object to me because I had none. So I <laughs> decided that the thing I really wanted to do I really believed that I could come back to Zimbabwe and make a difference here. Mm. And and that motivated that also motivated me. It wasn't one particular thing, it was a a variety of things that mm. led me to this decision to to return. I I like that the you were saying that you you thought you could make a difference because in I find in this world at the moment, you know, there's so many things that we you know, we could be doing and we should be doing, you know, especially at the moment with COP26 and everybody feeling that there's something that we could all be doing. But quite often people are paralyzed by the amount of choice or stick their head in the sand. But you felt, you truly felt that by returning to your home country, you knew you could do something worthwhile. I knew that my years of, you know, I'd been out of the country for 38 years and I had gained a, a, a great deal of experience and knowledge and um, insight. Um, I'd been exposed to many different experiences. Um, and I, I, I really did feel that, that that would be something that I could seriously do. And in you know, I, I, it, it's right. I, I, have, I am making a difference here and I am involved here and I, I – hope to continue to do that um but yeah at the i think i think the oh, the thing about overwhelm is that you you kind of need to to and in my book i talk about this is um the analogy of eating the elephant mm. so if somebody says to you how do you eat an elephant mm-hmm. um the the answer is one bite at a time. <laughs> when you look at a huge thing, so when you're looking at the earth and climate change and blah, blah, blah it's overwhelming. Mm. There's no way that you can do anything about that. And and I pretty much felt the same way when I left Africa. I really felt that I didn't know my place in Africa um, as a white person. Mm. And I, I really just, and I just didn't know what I could do to To make a difference, and being away has has given me such an incredible insight. My journey gave me such an incredible experience mm. that returning, I, I 
I really know what I can do. I really know how I can um, make a difference. And, and I know, you know, what action to take. And I think that that's the important thing is, is in Overwhelm is to look at <clears throat> a couple of small things that you can do mm. that really make a difference. And I'm not just talking about recycling your bottles, yeah. you know, because that's, come on, you know, face it, let's, that's just like an easy thing to do. But, you know, um, there is more. There's more that you can do than you believe you can mm. You just need to be bold enough to step outside the box. And what is it that you are doing that's making the difference now? Um, I start, Before I left, I started a small nonprofit for girls' education, um, and I'm it's very small. I only have a, a few girls. But I'm also trialling out um, – th- there's a huge problem in rural girls not getting education. Mm. Um, the lack of education for girls here is a serious problem. We have 67% of our girls not in high wow. school. That is, um, that, we're never going to achieve gender equality and all the benefits that go with gender equality if we don't manage to educate mm. girls. So I'm, I'm working several projects and a life skills program, etc. And I, I raise scholarship funds for these girls. I'm also in, involved with the community. So um, we have rural communities where their lands are literally tribal lands. You know, these are these are historically tribal lands um, in the in the rural area outside the city. And I connected with the community there through a wonderful project called My Beautiful Home Zimbabwe which um, is bringing back the tradition of um, painting their, ho- their homes, their mud homes. Oh. Um, and it's, it's a, a magnificent and really just an unmissable experience. Um, so I volunteered for that for the last couple of years, but I, that got me involved. And the Matobo Hills is a UNESCO landscape site, um, which is only about 30 kilometers, 40 kilometers outside of the city that I was born and raised in and I currently live in. Mm-hmm. But I got involved with the community and I managed to bring them water shortage is a huge issue and clean access to clean water. I've managed to bring them, connect them with a charity um, and I'm facilitating bringing them boreholes wow. and ac- giving them and hopefully starting some agricultural projects alongside each borehole, depending on the amount of water that we find. Um, but there are many other initiatives because um, in my drive through West Africa, one of the things that I became increasingly aware of is that urban drift, you know, people drifting from the rural mm. areas into the cities is a huge problem. Mm. And it's a huge problem because our governments are not keeping up with the infrastructure for these cities. The city infrastructures are crumbling and these people now have a different kind of poverty to face. Mm. So with the huge number of people we have living in the rural area, what, one of my projects, one of the, one of my ambitions, I have lots of Ooh. ambitions. I have big elephants <laughs> in, my, in my life. Um, one of my, one of my elephants is to, um, to demonstrate that we can keep people in the rural area, but we don't have to keep them in poverty yeah. and that we can develop economy in the rural areas and we can enrich their lives in a traditional, in the traditional way that they've lived for centuries, without you know, without having to sacrifice comfort. Mm. So um, I have also been accepted to live within the community, which is quite rare for a white single white mm. woman. So um, I'm I'm very honoured to have been given that opportunity. So. They've given me a, a piece of land, and I'm in the process at the moment of trying to get it together so that I can construct a um, a kind of a fusion of the traditional and modern. Mm. I want to respect the environment and the traditional, so I'm doing Adobe, but I'm definitely not sacrificing some of my confidence. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, it sounds like you said you you when you were young you didn't know your place feel what your place was it, it does does it feel more like that you know your place now know your place sounds a terrible thing but I, I was trying to emulate what you said <laughs> yeah um I really didn't know what I could do to to you know just feel like I belonged here yeah. and I do belong here what um 
what what I found is that uh, a lot of that had to do with m- me, my upbringing, my my so- social conditioning. Mm. And once I managed to let go of a lot of that, um, all of that, hopefully, um, what's happened is that I I found a a, a place within the community um, and a, a a relationship with people that. Um, I know I'm home, yeah, I, and I'm more home here than I have been in any other country that I w- lived in. Oh, that's wonderful. That must be a wonderful feeling. And you talked about how driving through Africa, which we're going to come on to, gave you so. And you know, because Africa is an enormous place, and you know, all the countries have very different personalities and very different uh, cultures and so on. But you you saw that that the, the all the countries that you came through, or certainly some of them, gave you thought, food for thought for coming home to your own country. Uh, yes, um, I, I, you know, one of my reasons for wanting to to tackle this journey was to. I had met such amazing African people from different countries that I had never, know, never, not never known about, but never seen or been to. Mm. Um, and as you say, Africa is a vast continent. I mean, Europe fits into Africa three times. Um, <laughs> so, and, you know, the United States fits into the Sahara Desert. So it's an example of mm. how huge a continent it is. And uh, I met these people and I, it intrigued me to know more about Africa. And in the knowing and understanding more about Africa, and the people and the way of life and being really disconnected because you know when you're overlanding your 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 lifestyle is just so utterly different um mm. i i really yeah i just i i understand africa i'm not to say that i 100% understand africa or condone what happens in africa but um i do have a much deeper understanding which which has helped me address and tackle um, what I, things that I, I hope will, will bring about change, you know. Um, so, yeah, it, it, eating the elephant, small things, trying to do um, small things. <laughs> Incredible. Now, so let's get on to the, the crux of the matter. You're 58 and you decide that you are going to drive all the way from Spain, Barcelona, I think. Is that right? Um, and then uh, all the way home to Bulawayo. Now, that's a monster of a journey and something that people mostly can only dream of. What? Why did you decide to do it that way rather than just jump on a plane and go home? <laughs> yeah, I get a lot of people go, why did you not just jump on a plane and go home? And I was like, yeah, but that's, you know, that's a flight. That's not really a journey. Um, mm. I I had been in an increasingly unhappy marriage for 22 years. And while there was nothing direly wrong, there was nothing direly right about it either. And mm. uh, at the age, as I was approaching my 58th birthday, um, I just had this, I, I just came to the end, the end of, of this procrastinating because I'd known for years that I really needed to, to get out of this. So I, I put an end to it and I said, okay, so in a, in a, I'm going to pack all my things. I'm going to leave. And I really, I left everything bar 35 boxes, a, a table, a small table that I'd been gifted, uh, a cane chair and a Turkish carpet. And that's, that's my entire life. I left everything else behind. And while I was contemplating all of that, um, I, I, mean, I left it because I had nowhere to go and I had, I had nothing, you know, I had, we, wow. we were pretty much broke. He had no job. I'd had some serious health issues and, um, I, I just, I just decided that, that I was better off with nothing than I was with what was going on there. So mm. I started thinking, you know, and as I said, I asked myself that ridiculous question, you know, what would you do if, if money was no object? <laughs> I set my mind to, well, if I'm going to go anywhere, I, I, I want to go back to Zimbabwe. I want to go home. I'm sure that I can make a difference there. And then I started to think, well, you know, if I get home, 
I have no money to do to do anything or or go anywhere or build or you know get a house or whatever have you. And then I don't know. I had motorhomed my ex husband and I had motorhomed in a big old um, American conversion RV um, mm. from England through Europe. Um, and then eventually ended up in Portugal. And I'd lived in that mm-hmm. for two years and I'd started a business in that. You know, I'd started my, wow. my web design, web development business, which was alongside my coaching because I couldn't coach in Portuguese. <laughs> and of course, technology <laughs> wasn't as advanced as it is today. So, mm. um, I, I started so that, you know, I, I knew what it was like to, and I loved it. My ex-husband hated it. <laughs> so I th- I thought to myself, you know, I could get a van, I could live in my van, something that's smaller, something that I can park mm-hmm. in a parking bay that isn't, you know, sort of like because the, the, we really had a monster of a vehicle. And and I can manage that and I can really cope with that. And and I would and I started to get excited about the thought of that. And then I thought, mm. well, you know, I've driven through uh America into Canada. I've driven around Europe. I've driven throughout when I lived in South Africa. I lived through, you know, I drove through South Africa. Um, I, I'm, I'm happy. I'm not, I, I like driving. I, I don't mm. dislike driving. I hate driving in the city. So I can't tell you that much. Anyhow, um, <laughs> I, I thought to myself, well, if I can drive through all these other continents, why can't I drive through Africa? Mm. I mean, African people must be able to drive through Africa every day. And they do, but not quite the same way. <laughs> so so um, I got this idea to, to get a van, which I did. I, I had stayed with some friends in England for um, a, quite a while and, and managed to find the van that I have today. And uh, then I took her to, picked up my things in Luxembourg and went to Barcelona where my nephew has a workshop and power tools, which was a, mm-hmm. another new experience for me, and I built the inside of my my van, um, and and then I took a ferry from Barcelona to Morocco four mm-hmm. days before my sixtieth birthday. Mm-hmm. I mean, none of this, you know, my journey didn't happen overnight. It took me two two and a half years of planning and organizing mm-hmm. to get to to do this. Um, and yeah, and so four days, I, I had set myself eventually after, you know, dithering around and messing about, I went, right, you're going to spend your 60th birthday in Africa. If you can't spend it in Zimbabwe, you're going to be at least in Africa. And mm-hmm. I managed to achieve that. So I was very pleased with myself. Uh, and then the journey began. So you got to Africa. Now, I read on your blog that you had originally said, someone had said, that you needed a four by four. And I've just heard you say just now, you know, African people drive through Africa all the time without a four by four. And you eventually settled on not that. What, what, and, and all that came with that. But what, I'm interested to know what other people were saying about this journey before we get into the crux of the. <laughs> the, the, the oddest thing was, was it was mainly men who were telling me that, you know, my van was not going to make it because I, I bought a 1998 Ford Transit van, <laughs> at two-wheel drive, totally mechanical engine, diesel, and all of those things tick boxes for me for tra- driving through Africa. You know, firstly, uh, well, except the two-wheel drive, but mm. um, firstly a van, I could live and sleep and I could get from the back of the van into the front of the van if I felt ever felt threatened or felt at risk or anything else. And so from my safety point of view, I felt comfortable with that. Um, The mechanical engine, because I knew that I was going to end up in very remote areas of Africa where there Mm. wasn't a hope in hell's chance that I was going to have a, you know, somebody was going to be able to diagnostically recognize what was wrong with my vehicle. People are much more likely in Africa to be able to fix something mechanical, you know, so, uh, and diesel because the, um, the fuel in Africa varies vastly from country to country and armed with fuel, spare fuel filters and other filters, and a couple of bits and pieces, I set off. But what mainly it was the men who were going, you'll never make it without a 4x4 because, you know, 
um, they just, you know, can't see beyond that. Um, and, although other people have done it without four by fours, you know, so mm. I wasn't totally unique in that regard. However, my van was, you know, ignorance got me a lot of a long, long <laughs> way on this journey. Um, I, I probably should have chosen something that was lighter than my van, but, you know, literally I packed as much as I thought that I would need on my journey. And when I got to Zimbabwe in that van, so I, mm. I still take out stuff out of my van and people go, was that in your van? How, what else have you got in your, cause I literally have everything <laughs> that anybody needs. Um, you know, oh, you want glue? Here's some glue. Oh, you want tape? Yeah, I, do you want a screwdriver? Yeah, I've got tools. I've got a spare part. I've got all sorts of things. Anyhow, it, the, the women that I spoke to were like, wow, that's amazing. So, gee, incredible. Um, but yeah, I, I think a lot of people just didn't, because it's common that people who overland do so in a four by four. And if I was to do it again, I would definitely choose a four by four simply because there were a lot of places that I couldn't go because I knew that I would get stuck in sand yeah. or I was on my own and I was, you know, I, 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 if something happened, I didn't know, you know, how I would cope. But that said, in Africa, you're seldom alone. You know, I don't think I ever waited for assistance, what I call Africa roadside assistance, mm -hmm. more than about 20 minutes. Um, yeah. You know, you, you'll you'll wait if you just wait. Somebody will come by and help you. You know, uh. um, that's the the nature of Africa. Um, but yes, it was it was a bigger challenge driving a two wheel drive. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I'm 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 a good driver. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> I managed, and I did slow and steady. You know, I really I I. One of the things that absolutely staggers just about anybody and everybody, specifically men, um, is when I my journey was 20,000 kilometers through mm -hmm. 17 African countries, Zimbabwe being number 18. Um, I did not once have to change my tire. Wow. Not, not because I did, somebody else did it for me, but because I never had a flat tire. But I drove incredibly slowly. I mean, I, you know, I was just like, I'm here. What's the rush? You know, I'm yeah. here. Um, it, you know, just just do it slow and steady. And some of the road, you know, I kind of reckon thirty percent of the roads were good roads. Thirty percent of the roads were mm, not so good roads, and thirty percent of the roads were non-existent. So <laughs> um, it was a, a, a large variety of terrain that I covered. But yeah, I was. You know, my van never does. Re she doesn't comfortably do more than fifty, fifty-five miles uh what's that about 80 90 kilometers yeah um and I'm happy with that you know I why am I rushing you know where am I going so fast so um yeah so my van is unusual and unique and she's blue which is like Ooh. an unusual color as well <laughs> <laughs> and quite clearly has her own personality by the sounds of things she has her own fan club. You know, people oh. were used to write to me and say, how's Bluebell? And I'd be, because that's her name. And I'd be like, yeah, I'm fine too. Thank you. Um, so, <laughs> and today, even today, you know, people are like, How, how's Bluebell? And I'm like, yeah, she's fine. I'm good too. Thank you. You know, it's, um, yeah, she, has her own, she has her own personality and fan club too. And how did you feel when you finally uh, disembarked in, was it Morocco, did you say? Yes. So I took a ferry from Boston because a lot of people say, uh, how did you get from Europe? Did you ship your vehicle? Uh, no, I took a ferry from Barcelona, an overnight ferry from Barcelona to Morocco. And then I landed in Morocco. Well, it took me when I landed in Morocco, you know, the first thing you have to do is get all uh, the the ferry was a sh shambles of some mm. note. Uh, anyhow, the first thing you have to do is scramble off the, the ferry mm. um, amidst you know, everybody else fleeing off the very with the, trying to jam and get ahead of everybody else. <laughs> and literally I spent hours at the border. Um, I also had some passport problems and because mm. in Spain they hadn't stamped me out and I hadn't, I was in such a, uh, a sort of heightened sense of, oh my God, what am I, what's happening next? Mm -hmm. And I actually forgot to check the stamp in my passport. 
And um, yeah, so I had uh, getting out of Morocco. And then when I got out of the border post um, and I had already identified my, my first overnight location, it was, it was like, wow, <laughs> wow, I made it. Well, I, I can, I abs- actually have some experience of that because every year I travel with the, what used to be known as the Paris Dakar Rally. So I've been on those ferries overnight from, we usually go from France or Italy uh, into Morocco, Tangiers or Nador or, and it is quite, even with the, the heft of the rally behind us, it, it can be somewhat of a challenge. Um, and, and I just love mayhem. Yeah. Mayhem crazy time. And, and there's a sort of, I can only imagine as a woman on your own, not even a woman on your own, a person on your own that, you know, has never been in that sort of immediately in that environment on their own, that that must be quite overwhelming. But Morocco itself, you know, once, how did, how quickly did you feel like you got into the swing of just driving, finding somewhere to stay, that sort of thing? I made a very important decision right before I left. And I decided that I would spend, um, my visa was, I think it was 30 days. You could get different visas and I just took 30 days. Um, and I decided to spend the month in Morocco. Because I felt it was really important for me, A, to settle down, mm. um, to become accustomed to my van. Because although I had been living in it for a few months, um, you know, I was now on a different kind of journey and, and that required a different kind of setup on some things. Um, and, and I was really glad that I decided to do that. Uh, so I took my time, went around Morocco, met some amazing people in Morocco, uh, I, I learned the most important thing I learned in Morocco was to ignore the men. Don't give them eye contact. Don't listen to them. Don't acknowledge them. Don't anything. Then you won't get hounded, harassed, mm. and chased down to be married or, <laughs> you know, any of those sorts of mm. things. Um, and um, yeah, I, I was, I, I, I called it giving myself time to get my Africa feet, mm. you know, so, so that was sort of really important was to, settle myself down, get myself acquainted, A, to being totally on my own. You know, while I was in Europe, I still had my nephew, you know, not, you know, down the road sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I had friends, uh, etc. Here I was completely and utterly alone. And I needed to get into the mode of operating that way. Mm. So I gave myself time. And I think that that's something that we often forget to give ourselves mm. is, is time, you know, just time to to get into the groove of things so i yeah i spent a month in morocco and i was very glad that i did and and morocco's amazing country just beautiful um so many i I would definitely go back there and i would spend longer it's it's just lovely it is the most spectacular place i love it and i ah you're just making me think about mint tea and uh pancakes for breakfast crepes for breakfast oh so good And what, so from there you went on and you, you go on after Morocco, you, you know, you presumably had to get through the no man's land between Morocco and Mauritania, which I know from experience in a four by four is a challenge. And I, maybe, was that one of your first, uh, challenges with the two wheel drive? Um, well, I, I didn't go through any desert because I can't. Um, I did get stuck in sand five times throughout my journey, which so sand was my enemy, our enemy. And, <laughs> and um, yeah, everybody, you know, I even before I left for Western Sahara or what was Western Sahara, now Southern Morocco, um, people were like, you can't, you can't go to, you know, through some, mm. Southern Sahara because it's, you know, West um southern morocco because it's dangerous and there's and i had no problems at all none whatsoever um the road was not great but when i when i came out of the morocco border and i managed to squeeze my way past all the trucks coming into morocco Mm -hmm. and i was confronted with this two and a half i think it's two and a half kilometers or four kilometers i can't remember exactly um of of the no man's land of no man's land that was yeah. was a sight to behold 
was, I could it's not extraordinary. Believe. It's the most extraordinary thing. <laughs> I, I could not believe my eyes. It was, it's just rock and sand, but striated rock. And abandoned cars. And ab- Well, I, you know, I was so focused on the road that I remember seeing the cars, mm. but I thought that they'd been, you know, broken down and abandoned. It was, and I, I'm glad that I didn't know at the time. And it was only afterwards that I found out. But <laughs> those those cars had been blown up by mines that were on the on the sides of this track, and I didn't know that, and and I'm glad I didn't yeah. know that. <laughs> but yeah, it was it was my first challenge. I, I literally got through to the other side. I don't know how long it took me. It felt like forever. Um, and I got to the other side, and and I had been holding onto my steering wheel so tightly that my hands were shaking. Not only from the you know the sort mm. of stress and the and the adrenaline, but also from just gripping the steering wheel so tightly. <laughs> but yes, that was that was one of my very first. Um, and and I'm glad to speak to somebody who knows what it what it looks like because it really is appalling. It is is it's quite it's very Mad Max, whether very dystopian universe type uh, part of the yeah. world. It is quite and, and apart from from my you know my first impression of it. As you say, the first impression is sort of a physical one of it's difficult to drive, it looks crazy, but it, you know, you then sort of start to think of what it all means and, as you say, landmines and this strip of land along the bo- between Mauritania and Morocco that's just is yeah, it seems it, it crazy in this belief, time. Honestly, it's, yeah, really, it really does. Belief, yeah. yeah. So, but then, so you're heading then into parts of the world that people say I can imagine there was a lot of teeth sucking <laughs> dangerous because I get asked it all the time and I'm I'm traveling with a caravan of about 450 people and we're perfectly fine and safe but you know so what what were your biggest challenges heading into the parts of the world because you went to Côte d'Ivoire and all sorts of places that were you know do not have uh, sorry not Côte d'Ivoire I mean the uh, the DCR and and that people, you know, have understandably, you know, reservations about. Yeah. The the one thing about Africa is that the people are warmer than we give them credit for. You know, the world the world thinks of Africa yeah. and and African people as dangerous. And I think of them as warm and friendly. And and I think you know, I also believe that we create our own yeah. reality. So I went forth and smiled and waved and spoke very little French and just, you know, <laughs> used my charm and sense of humor. You know, the African people love a sense of humor. They love nothing better than laughing. Mm. And and I mm. had, I mean, I, I, I fell prey to a bait and switch and I lost about 15 euros. But, you know, everything, I, I'm, A, I'm African. Although, you know, there are many people who think I'm not African. Mm. A, I'm African. I, I know the con- the continent. I know the people. And really, I really believe that all, I, I, you know, you can see the unity in, in the African people. They, they have, they come from the same place. It's, it's, it's amazing. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I did the wave test. You know, if I came in, there was only one country where that absolutely did not work, and that was Cameroon. Um, I would wave at people and smile, and I would always get a wonderful, warm wave and smile back, and um, and you know they'd be pleasant and and charming, and and I'm also you know I have a a big bullshit detector, so you know if somebody was giving me bullshit, I'd be like, no, <laughs> you know, I didn't just go in there and going, oh yes, okay, whatever, you know. Uh, I was like, no, that's not right. You know, that's not true. No, yeah. no, don't know that. Don't touch my car. You know, don't step away from the door. You know, if I came to the border post, they tend to crowd you. And because I was on my own and I, I needed to make sure I had my papers, I need, had my bag, I had my money, I had everything that I need, my phone. And, you know, if they crowded me, I felt very, at first I felt very uncomfortable, as you would anywhere. And I would just say to them, I'm not getting out of the car until you all back away from the car door, okay, back. And when I'm done with my papers, I'll come back and I'll attend Mm. to you. So I think what's important from this is that, A, I wasn't a pushover, but I also (laughs) wasn't rude. 
you know, I mean, well, maybe I was a little bit rude sometimes, but um, I wasn't. I wasn't um, obnoxious is probably the, the the right term to use. Um, and and I was always greeted warmly and friendly. My experience, however, was different to that of couples overlanding and men overlanding, and I I chose to be more reserved. So I, you know made sure that I didn't accept invitations to people's homes and mostly I wasn't invited. Um, and I don't take offense at that, but you know, I was a woman on my own. Um, and it wasn't a matter of not being courteous. It was mm. just, you know, how do you deal with a woman on her own of my age in, you know, in your, in your home and where I did go into communities, I was welcomed and I was fed and I was given anything that I, I wanted or pleased but I was always very reticent to take too much because, you know, they they come, they are so incredibly poor mostly. Um, you know, a lot of, I, I find that some, some overlanders go, oh, they gave us food and they gave us this and they gave us that. Wow, they're so wonderful. And what, what. But you've got to be careful about how much you accept because these people, it is their custom to be courteous to, mm. to travelers and strangers but that doesn't mean you have to, you know, take everything that they have. Yeah. But, yeah, I had overall, you know, people ask me a lot, How did you ever feel unsafe? And my answer is, mm. A, I always made sure of my security and I wasn't reckless with my security. Um, mm -hmm. B, I no, I never felt unsafe. I walked in cities. I dealt with people. I was at border posts all on my own. I was in situations where people tried to intimidate me into corruption. And I, you know, I just kept cool. I kept a sense of humor. Um, and I always knew that my van was a I think the only time I ever burst into tears was, uh, no, it wasn't the only time. It was twice. I twice burst into tears. But the first, the one time I burst into tears was I fell foul of some traffic violation some traffic thing in in um nigeria in lagos and i had been lost for about an hour and i was desperate and i was i thought i'd finally found it and i had managed to find the only priority lane in the entire you know continent of africa and i was in it and i was obviously <laughs> incorrect and but in front of me was a police car of course the odds are and they all jumped out and they all came up to me and I had to get out of my car and the policeman took my keys and I were, I just burst into tears because oh. I was like, my van is like my safety. You know, I wouldn't deal with money with, uh, you yeah. know, if I was dealing with traders on the side of the road or anything else, I would make sure I was in my car and I was handing them money. I wasn't ever negligent or anything like that. So what, not having the keys to my car, I just burst into tears. Apart from the fact that I'd already mm. been lost for an hour desperately overheating with the heat in Nigeria at eight or nine o'clock in the morning and just beside myself. So, um, but yeah, no, I never felt, I, and even then, you know, I was given my keys back. I was given my papers back and I was directed where to go. And um, yeah, it, it all worked out fine. And you said earlier that you met uh, other overlanders and um I think I've read from some of your blogs that, you know, that you made some friends and there were some amazing people. But what you said you weren't obnoxious. Is there a, a, an obnoxious overlander? <laughs> yeah, they're the people who come from the West, who come with the expectation that Africa is Europe or America or anywhere else in the West. Mm. And it isn't. It just you have to let go, you know. Everything takes time. Nothing is as perfect as you've had it anywhere else. But at the same time, just relax. In you know, so I, I met somebody at the, near the beginning of my journey, and he was very like, "Yeah, but you know, are all the roads like this, and is this like this, and why this?" And and I was like, "Man, this is Africa. You need to relax, yeah. relax. Just you know, stop." Stop thinking that you're on you're you're overlanding. You know, I I I believe that the purpose of overlanding is, or you know, one of the ideals of overlanding is to in just relax and enjoy where you are and 
what you're seeing and the people you're meeting. Um, when you come, and the borders can be irritating, totally, yeah. and the visas can be irritating, and the corruption that you come across can be irritating. At the same time, you just, you, you have fun with it. You, a, a lot of, I, I never pay knowingly. I did, I, I think I paid a, a couple of bribes, but not knowingly, you know, kind of fell into <laughs> a trap of doing so. But I, I never, never paid bribes at any of the checkpoints or anything else. And I never argued with them. You know, I would just be like, uh, I don't know what else you want, you know, because they'd be asking me in French for something. And I'd be like, oh, I don't know. Uh, do you want some more papers? <laughs> you know, um, yeah. uh, no. And I never paid anything. You know, because they eventually yeah. just went, oh, the stupid, the stupid old woman, let her go. Please. She's like <laughs> wasting our time. <laughs> yeah, there are a huge number of checkpoints. And I just started to have fun with it, you know. And, I, and, yeah. and if you make a joke, you know, so they would, they would say to me, for example, um, if I, you know, like, for example, when I got to Ghana, they'd be like, oh, because they all proposed marriage to me. You know, when they found out I was on my own and I didn't have a husband, marriage was definitely necessary to save me from myself <laughs> and um they would say you know oh you need a husband and I go no I got this far without a husband thank you very much I don't need one yes but you know you you need somebody to drive I drove this far on my own I don't need somebody to drive you know and I would just I would just you know give them back a, a, a joke and they'd be like Yes, but what if you need to change the tire? I say, you know what I do? I get out and I change the tire. Why? What do you do? You know, and they would just laugh. <laughs> the African people have a huge capacity for humor. And, you know, even the ones that don't, I would just, if they came to my door and they weren't smiling, I'd say, oh, I'm sorry. Are you having a bad day? Mm. Um, and then they would generally smile, you know. So, mm -hmm. yeah, and I, or I would keep at it until they did smile, you know. So, <laughs> uh, so in terms of, in terms of obnoxious, I, I think you, when you come to Africa, you, you can't consider that it's the same place that you come from. It's, mm. it, it is a different place. And if you allow it to, it will, it will sweep you up in its, mm. in its, in its warmth. Yeah. Oh, you're making me want to pack my bags and leave immediately <laughs> because I get to, I'm very lucky. I'm very lucky to be able to go every year, but I didn't get to go this year because of COVID. And so I'm absolutely itching. I spend two and a half weeks in Morocco and Mauritania and Senegal every year. And it's not the same as what you did. It's a very different animal, but oh, I just, I love it so so much. Yeah. It is, you're absolutely right. It just gets under your skin and it's a place that you could, I could spend a lot of years exploring. I wanted to ask you, what did you, what do you think you learned about yourself? Because you say that now and you say you need to, to relax and you took your month in Morocco to sort of find your Africa feet. Did you know that those things about yourself before that you would have to employ this sort of sense of humor? Is this something you learned along the way, for example? Um, I, I have my wit and sense of humor to thank my father for, who is mm -hmm. deceased, unfortunately. But so it, it is a part of my nature. Mm. But I was quite depressed when I left Europe. I, mm. You know, I'd, I'd had many unhappy years. I, it had been a real challenge and struggle for me to get my act together, get all the stuff together, build something that I'd never built before in mm. terms of building the inside of my my van and. Um, I was, I was, I had lost my joy over many years mm. and coming back to Africa, I just, it, it, it took me out of my world and out of my box and put me in a place where I only had myself to rely on in, in, in all circumstances. I, you know, there yeah. was sure there were, you know, there were friends at the end of a WhatsApp when I had signal or whatever have you, but there was nobody within my immediate vicinity that was going to be able to rescue me or, or yeah. help me. Um, so I, I've always been pretty practical and, um, and, and those sorts of things and, and quick thinking about situations. But yeah, I, I, what I learned about myself was that I can rely on myself, that I am better than I think I am. I, I'm good. I've, I've known for a long time that I'm okay on my own. I, I don't mm -hmm. have a problem being on my own. Loneliness is, is not an issue. Uh, there's a difference between loneliness and aloneness. Yeah, um, yeah. And if I got lonely, I would just talk, you know, I, I was never, in fact, in Africa, it's hard to be lonely because you know, <laughs> you've got the 
checkpoints. You got to talk to the people there. You talk to the people at the fuel station. You talk to the people in the market. You know, you're talking to people all the time. Yeah, I I, I just learned that I can depend on myself more than I thought mm. I could. Um, and I learned to let go, letting go and allowing. I'm I'm not a very religious person, but I I I did find. Uh, my spirituality in terms of the universe kind of just made my trip happen. It was mostly miraculous. I mean, the mere fact that I managed to do it (laughs) in a two wheel drive Mm. and some of the circumstances I confronted for many people have gone like, wow, how did that happen? Mm. I have no idea, but I literally let go and I was like, okay, I was, I, I kind of worked at moving things forward, but at the same time, letting go, it's, it's a strange combination, but Mm. I, yeah, I, I learned a lot more about my spirituality than I than I had before. But yeah, and I found my joy. I found my joy in the small things. Um the the waves of the African people and the wonderful smiles just to a stranger that they would never see again and, and had never seen. Mm. Um and their their warmth of helpfulness and kindness. Um so yeah, I found my joy being back on the road in, in Africa. Oh, that sounds absolutely wonderful. I, I interviewed a, a, a woman in the last season of the, the podcast, and she talks about finding her way back to joy. It's her sort of thing. And uh, it's such a beautiful and simple, but so vitally important thing that I, I, I congratulate you on finding it and, and in finding it in such an exciting way. Um, what will be your favorite memory what's your favorite memory from the trip if you can narrow it down to one wow (laughs) wow uh one um sure uh, that's why I wrote the book yeah you know it's literally 480 80 pages of the most amazing things that happened to me um it's like people say to me which country was your favorite country? I it really, I can't tell you. I can't tell you what my favorite experience was. I can't tell you what my, because they were all so, you know, incre- there were so many incredible, incredible moments mm. um, that just were, I, th- I think one, of, just one of them that comes to mind at the moment, you know, just completely unexpected was um, the desert landscape is not my favorite landscape. Mm. Um, but, when I talk about the small things, you know, I found that there's incredible life in the desert. Mm. You know, there are little insects and there are little flowers. And I came through Western Sahara. There was just thousands of dragonflies and came through, you know, the section where you, I went through um, Diyama Mm. into Senegal from Mauritania and, um, suddenly from this dry, dry landscape with the wind buffeting constantly from the land side, I came to this green wetlands of the Senegal River with flocks and <sighs> flocks of flamingos. Um, oh. And it was just overwhelming. It was outstanding. Um, so things like that. I mean, I found myself in the Atlas Mountains. Wow. I'd only yeah. ever learned about them. You know, here I was driving <laughs> around the Atlas Mountains, you know. Uh, so, yeah, many, many different memories and, and different places. The rainforests in Gabon, which are overwhelmingly green oh, and wow. dense and amazing. So, um, and chimpanzees that I saw in Guinea and yeah, so it's hard to say one favorite. <laughs> um, I'm kind of, I'm kind of a, yeah. I, 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 there were just too many, incredible, and just too many. <laughs> well, that's a good thing, rather that than too few. Uh, tell me, so absolutely, what are you? What, so you're you're working on your scholarship and your the water project and and the boreholes and so on. How can we help? What can we do to support that? Yeah, contact me because um, I'm also doing skills projects. I'm trying to um, set establish a a training center where we can give the ladies out in the in the rural areas skills. Um, you know, with with to make products that are marketable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're still making baskets the same way they made them over hundreds of years, which is terrific. But you know, 
they're not kind of like the market that people want to buy. Mm. Um, and I want to teach them, you know, about their health and their well-being and um, help them make. So I've been donated um, a sewing machine and fabric so that I can teach them how to somebody not me because I'm not a sewer mm -hmm. but somebody can teach them how to make sanitary products mm. um because you know despite the problem we have in the rural areas it's a pristine landscape and then a lot of the NGOs are sending disposable sanitary mm, pads yeah. where do we put them yeah <laughs> you know and that all of that leaches into the underground water that we're using to drink and it's just a you know, environmental catastrophe. And we're trying, I'm working with another project to try to reforest certain areas and bring back indigenous trees um, and bring back waterways, which will sustain, um, you know, bring, bring back water, you know, because through careful management, you can actually bring water back into systems. Wow. And so, yeah, so there are any number of projects. If somebody wants, has a favorite, contact me um that's the best thing to do my, my facebook page is going home to africa my website my website is called going home to africa.com my instagram is also called going home to africa my email is dot at going home to africa so dot com and um yes if you're if you're interested in supporting the girls uh any of the projects in the in the in this in the matobo area You'll see some more about that on my Facebook page um, where I start talking about those things. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I would love to hear from anybody who's interested. And um, eventually I hope to start volunteer programs and all sorts of things. I have big elephants, as I said. <laughs> so. oh, it sounds absolutely magnificent. And I... There is one last element of the podcast. Uh, it's the challenge, Katie, and you have a very interesting one for me. <laughs> yes, I do. Um, so my challenge is to take a 30-litre bucket of water mm -hmm. and use it for the day for everything, wow. for washing, for brushing your teeth, for washing your dishes. Now, I know that you have a family, so, you know, that makes a difference. But try to see how you cope with the mm. liters of water. And I, I did say you don't have to flush your toilet with it because that might be an, an additional challenge for you. Because <laughs> what what I, I would challenge anybody out there because um, right now I'm about to – I'm putting together a video wh which shows you the quality of water mm. that they are drinking out in these rural areas and clean water. I mean, I spoke to the ladies and I said, so do you wash your water and your clothes in this? And they went, no, we can't because it's too muddy. <sighs> so it's it, it, the staggering thing about water is that we so take it for granted. Yeah. You know, you go get yourself a glass of water, you open the tap, you've got water, you know, you get your cooking, you do your, you boiling your vegetables or making your food, you open the tap, you've got water. Yeah. Um, you know, you're brushing your teeth, you open the tap, you're washing your hands, you open the tap. Every time you open that tap, it's water, and and here we we just don't have enough of it. So our borehole projects are immensely important to bringing a quality of life. Women walk five to ten kilometers mm. just to get a bucket of water. Gosh! So you know they say you don't know the value of water until you have to carry it. Yeah, yeah. Extraordinary. Okay, a, a challenge accepted. That is a, a, a good one for gratitude, apart from anything else. So thank you, Dot, for your time and your amazing energy. As I say, you have sparked up the old wanderlust again. Uh, it's, never, it's never far from the surface with me anyway, but oh my goodness, sounds absolutely incredible. And where can we get hold of the book, Going Home to Africa? It's available on Amazon worldwide. Uh, anybody in Zimbabwe or South Africa, um, the details are on my Facebook page and on the website um, because those areas are not obviously covered by um, Amazon. Anybody who's not covered by Amazon uh, anywhere, just contact me and I can I can guide you. But otherwise, it's available worldwide on Amazon. Thank you. And thank you for allowing me the time to, to share my story with you and um, 
for for your interest. Oh, it's a pleasure. Gosh, it's absolutely uh, fascinating. I'm just amazing. Thank you so much again for your time and uh, hope to catch up again soon. Thank you. Thanks for listening. I really hope you enjoyed that. I'll be back next week with some more great chat with another amazing woman. Bye-bye.